Hey everyone, we've got something a bit different and a bit special for you this week. Uh, as many of you will know, Paul Mackay from Analog Wonderland has, over the last few weeks and maybe even months now, been having uh, weekly conversations on YouTube, the Analog Television channel that he's been running there. And this week, in uh, continuing the conversation, the Black Lives Matter conversation, which is going on all over the world right now, and very important it is too, he spoke to three fabulous black photographers. Um, Tina Rowe, who you will know and hopefully love from being on the podcast here before we love Tina she's fabulous Rob from London Camera Project who uh, Rachel and I have both had the pleasure of meeting we briefly got him on the podcast before I need to try and get him on again but he's quite shy and Eric Toribio who we have not yet had the pleasure of getting on the podcast uh, but something we definitely need to rectify in the future when I heard what Paul was doing I got in touch and said Paul this sounds fantastic, and I know it's something that our listeners would love to hear. Please, can we pinch the audio? And Paul very kindly said, yes, you can pinch the audio. So that's what we have for you tonight. A fantastic conversation with three fantastic film or analogue photographers um, talking about their art, their work, their inspirations, and how being black has affected all of these things as well. Um, I hope you enjoy it. I think it's fantastic. And thank you very much to Paul and, of course, to Tina, Rob and Eric for letting us use this. Enjoy everyone. Good evening everyone and welcome to another very special episode of Animal Television. So um, today we have three fantastic people who I'm going to bring in straight away. Um, we, I'm joined by three guests, three for the price of one and no co-captain which is brilliant. The overall plan this evening is for those three guys to talk as much as possible and for me to talk as little as possible, which you will be thrilled about. <laughs> Thanks so much, uh, guys. So we have, we have Tina, we have Eric, and we have Rob. Rob, who has, in his own words, emerged from the shadows, removed his hat, stepped away from the banner of London Camera Project, temporarily at least, to join us this evening. Guys, first of all, thank you so much for your time, uh, your evening, <laughs> for giving over to joining everyone. Um, how is everyone? Yeah, I'm good. Pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. So, um, the uh, the conversation has already got quite feisty in the comments where people are talking about my short hair, which is brilliant. I don't think I'm the only person who's had a haircut today, um, but my, my wife is already giving me smack talk, so that's, that's brilliant. <laughs> What we're going to do, because the, it's a slightly different format um, with the three of you, I think what we'll, we'll try and do is I'll, I'll pose a question to the group <laughs> and then you guys can take turns answering. Hopefully we'll have a bit of a conversation and then we'll move on to the next bit if that works. Sure. Okay then, let's start off. So let's start off with the, the easy one. Your journey into film photography and the work that you do now. Um, let's start off. Tina. How did you, you, well, actually, I mean, I started, I said it's an easy one, but you started off by saying you don't see yourself as a film photographer, you see yourself as an artist working in film, so <laughs> that's okay. Um, what do you do and, and how, have you, how have you got to this point? Um, well, I'm, I'm really old. I started doing photography when I was, when I left school, I went to art school and I was given my father's Practica camera and that was in 1979, so there was no digital. So that's how I got into it. <laughs> then, oh, by default. Then, yes, there was there was no alternative. But um, I went to art school. But when I went to art school, uh, photography wasn't considered uh, part of the art sort of thing. So I got into lots of fights with my tutors and ended up being thrown out. 
And I carried on with my camera and I joined local camera clubs, but they were just full of beardy men. I'm sorry, gentlemen with beards, but beardy men. I think I got away with it. I think mine's a a poor beard at best. Okay. But this is the early 1980s when this happened. And there were just all these guys that smelt of pipe smoke who wanted me to take my clothes off so they could take photographs of my lady potatoes and I, I really got to the point where I just hated the dark room and I left the dark room then didn't really come back until 2000 no 2012 when I was tempted into a lift printing course at what was double negative dark room and uh, I've been working with film intensively since then though I've had film cameras all the time up until that point I had um, I also had a Nikon D700 which was fun so that's how I arrived at it but now what I do is I, I make work that starts off with film uh, but then it goes off in all kinds of weird directions that's me <laughs> <laughs> no that's fantastic so um the lift course you said what tempted yeah. you about that the price kept dropping <laughs> <laughs> well the, the thing was that I, I carried on doing analog stuff and i went i did it i did i had a contract up in leeds and while i was in leeds i couldn't find a dark room there this is before i had digital so i did use dark rooms a little bit but i found this book that taught me about cyanotypes and gum printing and through Flickr, i got on a I got on some kind of group where I met this guy who ran a darkroom who ran courses and he kept offering me courses and the prices kept coming down and one time the lift printing course was just the right price and it was actually perfect because it's the right kind of analog printing course for me because it's all about what you do in the developer it's not about doing really careful test strips and making sure your chemistry is all perfect because it, once you've got one print perfect the next one isn't going to look like it anyway so it's it I, I really love lift printing because it's the randomness so that's what suits me I'm I'm not yeah I'm not the sort of person that would fit in a real proper dark room because <laughs> I'm shit <laughs> <laughs> No, lovely start, lovely start. Eric, similar to you then, I'm guessing? Eric, similar, oh, path, similar path for you? Uh, very similar, yeah. Um, I, I've only been around for 31 years, so <laughs> maybe, I, as far as I've been around, I think digital cameras may have existed, at least to some slight degree, I'm not sure. But either way, um, no, I kind of fell, I'm the millennial, and I think I have the typical millennial experience with film here, where you kind of randomly discover it through whatever random channel, whether someone gives you a camera, or you saw some YouTube video, or or like me, you lived in Brooklyn, and you saw these hipsters walking around with like like old cameras. Um, so that, that piqued my interest, and then basically, I since I would say in the last year and a half, two years, I've really started to... Um, not not only fall backwards into the film, but like dive in head first. And I've been touching every single aspect of film photography that I can. Um, like for example, now I'm doing a ton of printing at home in my bathroom, which is it's a, it's an undertaking in and of itself. But it makes the toilet more useful than than it's typically. <laughs> it's a throne. It's a real throne now. Uh, yeah, I I kind of I, I shot a ton of I, I consider myself a photographer digitally first, and really got deep in there, did lots of portrait work, really like owned my craft and retouching. I was doing a lot of like beauty work and stuff like that. And then film, I think, offered me the the exact opposite. At least for me, it seems like the exact opposite where it's not about perfection. It's not about having everything be super crisp. It's more about the, the process and the the fun of the experimentation and like kind of messing around. So I, I just like getting my hands dirty. And that's that's kind of where my focus is now is getting my hands dirty with all kinds of random stuff. 
And and I realised actually um, when I did some of the introductions to this evening session, I said three black British photographers, but actually you're American living in London, is that fair? So you're in the UK scene now, but yeah. when did you come across? <clears throat> yeah, so I moved to the UK last year in January um, for a mix of professional and personal reasons. Um, but yes, I, I am American. I'm born and raised in New York City, and I am of Dominican ancestry, family, whatever you want to call it, Dominican Republic and the Caribbean, not too far from Jamaica, which is probably like the, the big representation here in, in London, at least. So um, an extra flavor, you know, if you're looking to learn a bit about, you know, what counts as black and who comes from where and that kind of thing, that's the, the Latino aspect of, of part of black culture, which has to do with the Caribbean and speaking Spanish and that kind of thing. Fantastic. No, thank you so much. And then, Rob, your journey here to the film cameras behind you. Uh, uh, yeah, um, I suppose, well, as, as a kid, I've always had a camera. I had the little 110 and then um, I suppose about 1990-something, an old girlfriend gave me a camera and um, and it was a little Kodak F350 point-and-shoot APS camera, which I took to China <laughs> with me. And I loved it. I loved that little thing. It was, you know, focus free and it had the three different formats. And uh, and yeah, I mean, in the 90s and the early noughties, that was a, a great little feature. And then obviously, like most people, they, they put their cameras away or camera away and it gathers dust in the drawer or whatever. And then um, one day I was on the lunch break. No, I wasn't on lunch break. I was, uh, yeah, it was lunch break and I was in the library on the computer and I don't know what happened but I managed to bump into um Japan Camera Hunters website mm -hmm. and uh, Hamish's website 35 NMC <clears throat> and for some reason I'm looking at all these old cameras and people are going nuts about it. and I'm like you know I've got a camera at home I've got and obviously you know a Leica next to my because um, Hamish was talking about bloody Leicas so these Leicas, <laughs> next to my little Kodak, uh, you know, there was no comparison. But I just I found it. I dug it up and I, I managed to find some film for it. I didn't realise that in the meantime, people had stopped making APS film. Um, but I, so, yeah, so I, I, fell, I fell back in love with it again. So I started shooting that. And then um, I think within a month and a half of me um, taking it out again, I bought myself an Olympus trip, um, lovely camera, and uh, you know those cheap plastic panorama ones. Mm -hmm. Oh, I like them. Yeah, <laughs> all right. And I and I booked a trip to Sweden. I went to Sweden. I went to Denmark, just on my own. Left the whole family here, just and I just took as many pictures as I could. Most of them were crap um, because <laughs> you know to to make the money go further, I bought expired film, not knowing what effect that would have. So I learned a really expensive lesson. Um, <laughs> within a few months, um, I think I had 20 compact cameras, and then I got my first SLR, which was a Pentax Botmatic SB2. And then fast forward about a year, and I've got maybe 70 cameras. I had to get rid of quite a few because wow. at time they were, but they were a lot cheaper. People, I mean. People were chucking them away or giving them away or handing them out. You like cameras, don't you? I have that. You like cameras. Yeah. So before you know it, you're taking on other people's stuff, which is okay because, you know, as to the collection. But um, And then the hipsters caught on. <laughs> started Those damn millennials. Those millennials. <laughs> Sorry. With the, 
cameras <laughs> and then the prices went up but um so so yeah my my, my route in was um an accidental um, encounter with japan camera hunters website <laughs> and then um but you know what what i love about it is that um I was talking to my dad about um some of the photos that he's taken of me and my siblings as children and he obviously you know they're, they're all on film and he told me what camera he used and he told me he used a zenit E, Zenit E. Oh. Right, and I thought oh, that's a really cool camera. I don't want to get one. He says, "No, don't get me one." I said, "I'll get one anyway." So I got, I got him in a Zenit E, which he hasn't looked at, and I got my <laughs> Zenit EM. And then I realised why he doesn't want to touch it is because it's quite an experience to use. And uh, <laughs> yeah, but the other one I've got, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. So um, you'll be shocked to hear that people jumped on the fact that it took you less than 10 seconds to mention APS. Um, we, we know that that holds a special place in your heart. And people are also very impressed by the casual, a year later I had 70 cameras. <laughs> yeah, got silly quite quickly. Uh, Eric, how many cameras do you think you would say you have right now? Uh, right now in my possession, film cameras only? Sure, <laughs> we'll start there. Film cameras only. I think I have fourteen. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I, I got work to do. <laughs> exactly. Fourteen. Yeah. Good and Tina, do you do you have a one of the cheap plastic panoramas, or is that just one that you've enjoyed from the past? That's one I don't have, but I've got a lot of other ones. <laughs> what would what's your fun. what's your favorite setup if you're out shooting film, or if it's a project like? Favorite film, favorite camera. Favorite film, Rolly also twenty five. Love that film. Um, favorite camera, probably Hasselblad five hundred CM. But I got mine before the hipsters came all out of the woodwork. <laughs> mine cost me. I'm going to make everybody cross now. Cost me three hundred quid on Whoa. eBay. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it was it was in really good condition. Just didn't have a lens cap, but um, yeah. But my favourite camera is I've got this beautiful six by seventeen wide angle pinhole camera by um, James Gurin. Uh, a reality so subtle they're called, and they're beautiful handmade pinhole cameras. So you get four shots to a roll of one twenty. I love it. Yeah, love it. And so you, you were, you were shooting ortho before Ilford uh, made it cool. Have they made it cool? Oh. Well, they brought they brought out their ortho eighty last year, and a lot of people oh, for yeah. them, a lot of people it was their first experience of ortho because it, it created a lot of buzz around, you know, Ilford new film. But I'm lazy. And I don't like being in the complete dark, dark room. That's why I like the ortho film. It's just nice. You can have the light on. Exactly. There we go. So when in November where everyone would say, what is this ortho thing? That's it. That's your moment. Eric, favourite film and camera. What would you pick if you had to? Uh, favorite film. I, I actually just prefer different. I, I, I always like having a new stock just to mess around with. Uh, favorite camera. Uh, there's uh, two answers. I think I'd love shooting folding camera so i'm going to say my zeiss icon netter um but the camera that has just been a, a workhorse for me is the cheap uh canon slr like the like the modern ones from like the, the 90s i have a couple of them and right now it's the 300 v it's silver it's plastic as all hell and has these weird lines and it's just the the anti-hipster camera but it, it's, <laughs> it's got autofocus and nine autofocus points like it does work <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I'm a big fan of EOS. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Big properly fan. plasticky, but they, they really do the job. And they're quite light as well, aren't they? Yeah, they? yeah. Cheap. Yeah. I like that you say it's silvery and plasticky because you know what that is just... That's just cheap paint slapped on black plastic. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Rob, camera, film, what would you go for? Uh, okay, well... Uh, <laughs> this, this is my favourite APS camera. It's uh, obviously off the start of APS. It's my uh, EOS IX, which uh, Eric lent me a lens for, didn't you? You lent me a lens for a yeah, yeah. Uh, the Battersea... Um, was it the Battersea Meetup? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, it's ridiculous. I love this beautiful SLR, really fast autofocus. Um, yeah, it's just it, it, it's one of the reasons why I keep going back to APS because I really want to get good use out of it. Um, compacts, I suppose. This is my XA2, which I love. It goes everywhere. It's always in a pocket. Um, it, with, without the flash, it's so small, it's so compact, just fits in the palm. It's tiny. It's tiny. It's great to take it out on the street. Um, I don't think it. First, I don't think it suits my, you know, my height because I'm six three, and this camera is so small and so dinky. But I just, I really, I really love using it. Um, and then my favorite SLR. What's my favorite SLR? At the moment, I think, I think my favorite SLR is my. AE1P, which is built like uh, like a brick and it's solid, and the FD glass is amazing. And uh, hey, AE1, yeah. hey, this is, yeah. this is a man's conversation, isn't it? This is man's stuff. <laughs> My lens is not numbers and letters. This is where I always get terribly confused. I've got a one Hasselblad with one lens. <laughs> Yeah, and the only number I don't that, know what it is. But I, I must care. say, I I my camera's for your hassle, blood. <laughs> I was about to say, you, you say this, dismissive of the numbers, but the one number that a lot of people have jumped on in the comments has been £300, I think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and someone's, asked the question, someone's asked the question actually um, a bit earlier. It was Kate Hook. For you, Eric. The, um, so you've come across from, uh, from New York a year ago. And you were into film photography before that, right? So, um, yeah. what do you see is the difference in the in the scenes, the communities, uh, America versus? Well, I suppose it's New York versus London. We can't generalize too much. New York versus London. Yeah, yeah. that's a great question. I I will say my my journey really transformed in London, and I don't know if that's because it's a different place. But here's where I found my first real film community. Um, New Yorkers have a reputation for being a bit, you know, abrasive and and kind of dismissive and you know whatever. And those are my people, so I'm not going to admit to any of that. But uh, I will say London, uh, the spirit in London, just the city and the kind of the vibe and the pace. I think the pace, that all translates into a much more calming experience when it comes to shooting film, I think. Um, so uh, the, the community, I, the community I found here, maybe it exists in New York. I'm not sure. Um, I'm actually excited to try to find that out at some point. But, but that's been the, the night and day difference for me. Um, I will say, though, the UK film photography is more expensive, um, like no matter how you cut it. The other side of that, though, is um, there's so much good stuff on eBay here in the UK. For whatever reason, like people have so much amazing stuff, especially if you're digging around for that one random thing that you need. It probably exists in the UK and it's usually in good condition, too. Um, so I'm impressed by that. But yeah, film is is 
the film film prices, for example, they're just I would say between the VAT or the VAT and then just whatever imports or whatever, it's definitely more expensive. So I think that's something that that feels obvious. But but yeah, community here is awesome. Yeah. When's your next trip back to New York? Uh, that's a great question, man. I'm trying to figure that out. I was supposed to have gone already in April, and of course that didn't happen. So now, um, yeah, I'm trying to figure that. I miss home. I, it, it's I haven't been back since November, and usually oh. I go back like once a quarter or something like that for for any random reason. So I'll figure that out soon, hopefully. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, yeah, no, I remember talking to I think it was one of the camera repair guys who says that the 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 cameras that pop up on eBay in the UK versus America versus Eastern Europe in particular are very different because it's whichever camera manufacturer sort of owned a market or had a good representation. Mm. Ultimately, that just went in a cupboard for 30 years and that, yeah. that market share has reappeared just on eBay rather than in, in, in stores. So, um, okay, fantastic. Well, um, let's, uh, let's get into some of the, um, the, the fun stuff then. So, open question. Whoever wants to start off can please do so. Do you see a disparity of diversity in the photography community? And then is there any difference when you get into Anarch? <laughs> yes. 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 Well, yeah, I mean, like, the, the, you, it, it's just, just really clear. If you look, um, there's a guy that I, I know called Paul Halliday. I don't know if you know him. He's a he does he's a sociologist mainly from Goldsmiths. I follow him on Twitter, and there's a lot of discussion around representation. So you tend to have um, you, you tend to have certain kinds of photographers sent out to cover things, and they're not often black photographers. So there's the Authority Collective, who are a collective of black female photographers. There are more people pushing for black people to cover those kinds of issues you look at someone who was the guy that took the picture of the afghanistan the woman from afghanistan the, the famous picture Curry. of the young girl yeah. Tim Curry, yeah so you have you have these big name photographers who get famous for taking these isolated photographs that get seen as representing a whole group of people but there's not really the lived experience connected with it so I went to um, Bangladesh a couple of years ago and I visited an organization called the Pathshala Institute where they're training people, young um, Bengali kids to, to be professional photographers and documentary photographers and art photographers. But there's, there doesn't seem to be many of those people who go through those schools seem to end up being represented in, in the media. Does that make sense? That's, yeah. that's something. Yeah, that's interesting because I think... It, I think historically that applies very clearly. Nowadays, there's, there's almost like less of an excuse for something like that, given yeah. that everything's democratized, like everyone's a photographer. And I mean that in, in a good way, not in like the facetious bad way. Um, but there's so many people out there, especially in their own communities, who, who are taking pics and are good at it and, you know, have that first person point of view as opposed to being an outsider coming into whatever community. So I think that that classic model of having like a mostly white male photographer traveling the world and diving into these communities to cover whatever is happening or, you know, anything that that there's no excuse for that at this point. Um, yeah. The access is there. The roster of people is there. Um, I think if, if you want to highlight something happening in a place, you need to go to that place and source everything from that place. And if that yeah. means a, a historically black neighborhood in, in New York, for example, like you're better off. You're not only are you better off, but it's almost your duty to ensure that you know you're pulling from there, as opposed yeah. to bringing an outsider to come in and do stuff. Um, and also, there's just so much information now. I mean, even film photography, 
my parents, like they had a film camera, but this was in the era when you, you take it to the pharmacy and they develop it and you get your photos. Film photography wasn't the art. The, the concept was irrelevant. It was just a matter of taking photos of, a, of an event. So I think lack of education from that perspective may have persisted in some of these places where it, it's not white people neighborhoods, it's, it's other people neighborhoods. Um, nowadays, there's so much information online. So people like me can, can learn these things, kind of practice them, apply them, and then who knows, you know, there's, there's, there might be a kid out there who's watching something on YouTube, learn from it, and then they become the voice through photography for wherever yeah. they're from. Yeah, uh, I like your point there. I, I agree, I think. Um, what you were saying, Tina, about um, these people going into their own communities with their cameras and producing their work, I think maybe um, we might not see their work in the mainstream because their work is probably within that community. So yeah. like Eric said about the democratization of photography, I think probably because, uh, like you say, everyone can be a photographer, instead of getting a pro in who's done, he's got himself published in Magnum or whatever, you can just get your cousin or someone else who's, you know, knows what he's doing, knows how to handle a camera. And for that reason, we won't see them in the mainstream, mm -hmm. but they, they will be better known within their own communities, their towns or, you know, like that. Mm. Um, also, I suppose, um, with the diversity, I've only been in the scene for a little while myself, relatively, um, in terms of the, the film photography. And I've found the people that come on the walks quite diverse. I couldn't really ask for much more. That said, you know, it's in London. Um, mm. It's the London Camera Project for a reason. So maybe that's one of the reasons why it's so diverse. Um, so I, I see a lot of diversity in terms of the people that are shooting the people that are buying from people that are having those conversations about gear, etc. Um, but I suppose online, the social media, maybe because we don't always see their faces, we don't know, and it's difficult to see what the diversity is like there. Mm. I think, yeah. I mean, like, we, sorry. No, no, go ahead. We, we, I wouldn't say that the dark room that I'm a member of is is um, massively diverse, but we do have people from all, we do have a, a, a really quite a good group of different kinds of people bringing different kinds of experience and attitudes and views to work from different countries and different backgrounds and I, I really really like that because it makes the conversation so much more interesting <laughs> yeah, yeah the, uh, on social I think that that's one of the, the the places where good work is happening in terms of trying to showcase some different voices I, I do find that some of the the major most well-known voices whether it's YouTube Instagram whatever those typically tend to be white males um, but I, I have noticed a, a, a real effort, uh, in particular, I can't speak for everybody in there, but I've seen people with big followings and big presences trying to put others on who, who wouldn't have access to, to, their, to a type of platform like that for you know, a variety of different reasons. So um, that, that duty, I think that seems to be a common theme, especially, of course, in the last week, but just over a long time now, that people with platforms and with privilege need to use that and, and, and put it to good work. And I think... Yeah the internet is is one of the best tools in, in doing that kind of work. Um, so, I mean, even on YouTube, for example, I recently started a channel and I've discovered, just by being part of the community, I've discovered so many other people in the community who are people of color, who, you know, their followings might not be huge, but they're doing amazing stuff. And all it takes is one person who everybody knows to shout out X, Y, and Z person. And then it kind of goes from there. Um, and, and there's a lot, of people doing stuff. You, they might not be as visible, but 
again, I don't think there's an excuse nowadays because just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Like everything is is so easily achievable now with with just a couple tools that you wouldn't believe who from this part of the neck of the woods and and this person who's not the typical example is doing things in film photography. Um, so so there's a lot out there, but I, I think I mean things like what Analog Wonderland is doing here. I think these kind of efforts are very important to to ensure that you're contributing and giving back by giving people access and presences and and just really like putting a nice like comfortable hug around the community um but yeah i mean rob as you said your photo walks i was shocked at how diverse they were um i i went to my first photo walk because it was not too long after i had moved and i you know, I, I just needed to i was like i gotta go out there put myself out there just meet people and not only uh, first of all a ton of women at your photo walks and then i oh, i'll listening easy <laughs> Um, but that, that, was, that was the Thanks, first man. major thing that I saw. And then I, I was shocked. I mean, if 20% of the people were people of color, to me, that was like a meaningful amount. And, that, and that's what I would see. So, um, again, it's just a matter of, of, you know, people with access and with, with, with power. I don't know if power is the right word, but people with tool sets to use those tools and, and actively try to increase the share of, of, of the people who, who they interact with in those in those different venues. I mean, the um, it's, it's very nice of you to, to say what we're doing tonight, but one of the reasons that me and Rob end up on a, on a conversation at the weekend was um, when I threw out an open question to the community a couple of months ago saying, who wants who should we bring on to our television? Everyone sent great names. Everyone sent people who are brilliant, love to hear from them. When you write them down, it's 15 white people in a row. Um, and I think the, the, when you talk about the democratization of photography and social media being used to elevate that, but is there still a case where there is gatekeepers, deliberate or unintentional, that, that, that people can get 5,000 followers on Instagram, but are they going to get a job off the back of it? Are they going to get, you know, a commissioned work or something like that? Yeah, there's definitely gatekeepers, but I think... Um, the first step is realizing it the way you just said you did. Um, you know, you, you see a list and you're like, oh, everyone I've had is a white male. The second step is you actively, you know, whether it's a sacrifice or not, is it, saying, you know what, I, I'm going to make a point of not going to this default set of roster that I have. And, you know, it, this happens in, in, in the professional world when it comes to like hiring, for example. You know, they say, oh, you know, like, the diverse pools of talent and that kind of thing. And, and at the highest level, it's easy to kind of just do a quick search. But if you think your organization is too white and, but you also then say like you've been trying to find non-white people, you're either not trying hard enough or you need to be even more aggressive and perhaps, you know, like put out hard requirements that says like the number of candidates you interview for something specific has to be half non-white people. You know, things like that are very aggressive and it offends some people and gets people riled up. But that's that's the kind of thing that, w w given how deep the issue is, like you need something as aggressive and as affirmative. And again, these are very like like uh, um, heavy tell. words. At, at least in the U.S., like you say affirmative anything, and like you will get a reaction. But but the point is you're making <laughs> the point is that you're aware, and then you're actually doing something, and and maybe even going beyond that, doing something. So so yeah, I, I, there's a lot of people talking about that, and I think. That's one version of like the allyship that, that I feel like is being pushed a lot right now. I get you. I get you. Um, but I don't I don't think I always agree with 
that because I think that can all that can at some point lead to tokenism, and it can lead to the best person not always getting a job because they do or do not pick a tick a box. Do you know what I'm trying to say, Eric? Yeah, yeah. No, that, tokenism is bad, and there are there are good ways to avoid tokenism. Um, but you know, I think it depends on the scenario. But but I, I agree with you. Like you you don't want to just hand things out to tick a box. But yeah. the point is, if you if you try hard enough, you will see that there are valuable candidates for whatever it is you're trying to do that don't have to be a white male. You know. Yeah. But there's a the, sorry. The, but there's also the gatekeepers. That that that's one of the things that I that concerns me a lot. Um, I work a lot in universities when I have to work, and um. We, we now have a situation with students who don't consider getting a 2-2 acceptable. You have to have a 2-1 or, or a first when you get your degree, which is nothing wrong with that. But when you come to be a recruiter and everybody's got a 2-1 or a first, uh, you might recruit someone who's, well, you get the best person for the job according to what you, you've recruited them on. But you're not actually, you're not, you don't know anything about that person. You just know how well they pass exams or whether or not they manage to disguise their essay mill essay properly that they paid for. <laughs> it's, there are, there are um, I, don't, I don't think it's any, it's any guarantee that there should be some way of being able to evaluate other aspects of a person rather than than saying right this person has got the highest score to do this that or the other it's sure we should be looking at well this person understands this this person has good emotional intelligence this person is thoughtful is good at problem solving and i don't know how we manage to 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 measure those things because the the way that things are set up at the moment it is all about points does that make sense yeah. and i think that you can't avoid the fact that there are some types of school that are geared towards getting people into the, the right types of university and then they study the right types of thing and then all of a sudden they're prime minister. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was not political. <laughs> Don't do the jet. <laughs> I, have to, I have to plug my phone in, I'm afraid I'm running out of gas. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. <laughs> um, we, were talk- we were talking about um, social media very briefly Rob, um, thoughts on the way that algorithms can work for, against diversity, or do you think it's neutral? Um, I don't, I don't know because I mean everyone's everyone's feed is going to be different, isn't it? Everyone's explore page is going to be different. So my explore page, after you know years of typing in portrait 800 or whatever i'm going to get lots of analog artwork whereas someone else is um but when i suppose when it comes to the content quite often what i see is uh, lots of pictures of uh women wearing very <laughs> you know they're normally they're normally you know skinny girls Normally wearing very little, they're normally you know, photographed maybe by their because um, he, she is his muse or whatever. Um, but I suppose yeah, you do see a, a lot of themes, and some of the themes are like I said, uh, skinny, semi-naked girls, or it could be an old classic American car. There's loads of those, and it's just that particular corner of it. so yeah you, you end up seeing the same thing and um i suppose one thing that can be tricky is trying to create 
work that is um, eye-catching. It's something that grabs people and they, they relate with, with, but also is original. And I think those are two quite difficult um, things to balance. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I think it's the, the interesting thing is that it's hard to know what anyone else's feed looks like. I think if I ever look though at the top liked photos across film photography accounts, whether that's through ours, whether that's through yours, Rob, whether that's through competitions that are done, um, I don't see huge diversity being reflected in the things to get the best likes. And that's not just uh, a racial thing, that's also, as you say, I mean, we joked the other day that the, the best photo in the world, according to Instagram, would probably be a skinny white girl holding a Lycra M6 over her chest. like. Uh, and, yeah. and, and, and that's not because there's somebody in Instagram promoting that, hopefully not, but it's the outcome of maybe what everyone is used to seeing, what everyone is, I don't, I don't know. Do you, Eric, do you, Eric do you, you must spend time on, on social, not just Instagram, yeah, yeah. What, what, do you, what do you see? No, that's very interesting. I actually, I was reading on Reddit um, last week on Reddit analog uh, slash analog. They, the, one of the moderators put out like, uh, I don't think they do it every year. It's like the yearly summary of what's popular and R and R slash analog is literally just photos and that's it photo. And you say what camera and what stock. Um, so they basically, you know, everyone kind of assumed like the top type of photo that was going to be the most liked would be a picture of a girl. And that was correct. I think it was like 25% of the, or it was, it ranked in the 25th percentile. Or, and then there was like some architecture and then landscape or something. Um, but but that was strictly just a photo of women. Like it wasn't like a portrait. It wasn't the category. It wasn't men. It was strictly just women. Um, and I think you know th there there's some I would say obvious reasons for that in terms of like a lot of men who are patrolling these sites. You know they just kind of see that and boom they like it. Um, but if you I think if you go beyond that I think I think it goes back to the the idea of the gatekeeper. You know if you are a, if you do create a platform such as that to showcase work. Um, at a certain point, I think you have to make an active choice to ensure that, you know, that kind of thing isn't just naturally dominating. Um, and you, as the mm -hmm. owner of that platform, you have the ability to create alternate ways to showcase work. So, for example, you know, you might have like a, a, a review committee who every week says, you know, 10 people voted on this image. And I would assume 10 people like actively looking at a body of, of a bunch of photos and, and trying to be very intellectual or whatever probably wouldn't just default to a picture of a woman with very few clothes on, I would hope. Uh, so, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so I think, again, like, you know, there, there's programmers make these platforms and humans are making these things in the back end. So at some point, you're going to see reflected like these common tendencies in the software, even though it's a computer doing all the work. Um, but, you know, you still have the agency as the owner or the curator or whatever to play an active role in that and to not just let like people's feeds dominate what they see. Because at the end of the day, Instagram and Facebook and all those, they are designed to show you more of what they know you're gonna like based on what you've done before to keep you just looking at it, to keep you hooked and you know, in a good and a bad way. Um, so if in film photography, if they know you like film photography and then they see in film photography people like women in, in no clothes shot on Portra, they're going to be like, he probably likes that too, or she probably likes that too, because she likes Portra and she likes film photography. Um, you know, and the, that's the explore page. That's just what it is. But what can you as a user do is, you know, when you're, when you're picking who to follow and who you engage with, like, you, you control what you search for, and you also control what you comment on, and you control who you DM in the messages. And that stuff also plays a role in these platforms. So 
the more you do that kind of thing, perhaps the more you take yourself away from like the easiest, most natural path. Um, there, there's agency in everything. I, I guess that's kind of what I get down to. If you truly, if there's something that's an issue or something that you want to get, like you, you play a role in, in achieving that. And I think for these platforms, it's the same thing. Um, they they kind of just let it happen because it, it helps keep these alive. You know, the platforms stay alive every time people like a photo or see photos of a young woman with very few clothes on. But you shouldn't have to rely on that. You know, that that's that's not that's not all that there is. Yeah, no, I get that. I get that. I mean, I, I curate my own feed. I'm mm-hmm. generally quite careful. I try and put men and women, different cultures, etc. Yeah. I, I try and keep it try and keep it varied. Um, but I suppose at some point I do have to start um, weeding out yeah, yeah. interesting stuff. Do you know what I mean? I, it's I unavoidable. Weeding it out because um, the, the, the content is so skewed that way. My, I, I checked my stats the other day and I had um, my audience is 72% men and 28% women. I did not aim to do that. Um, that said, I am a man and I am curating it myself. So it's probably, you know, a reflection of myself. Um, I try to make sure I'm engaging with um, all types of people, all types of gender. I, I don't, you know, don't have any particular slant generally, I don't think. But um, I do notice, I mean, I, I checked it, 28, 28% women, 23% women. So they're not really interested in what I've been putting out there and that, that much. And I don't want to be chasing um, people. I'm not trying to chase um, followers at all. That's the last thing I want to do. But I would like to make sure that I'm catering for everyone. I'd like to make sure that there's something for everyone. And um, so when I saw those stats and I was, I was definitely shocked but I wasn't too sure how I should handle it. I wasn't too sure, do I post pictures of big, burly men with their top top? Or is oh, that yes. a little bit? Tina <laughs> <laughs> doesn't follow you, but she would after that. <laughs> is that. Is that going over the top? Do I, do I show the work, just, just the work of women, rather than images yeah. of women? See what I mean? And how, how do you do it without being patronising, being condescending, being stereotypical. So it's 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 a bit of a minefield. And I'm, I'm trying to just showcase good, interesting work. Um, but I suppose I'm, I'm just a normal human. And it, and <laughs> the, the, sorry, there's a couple of comments that have come in that I think are quite good just to throw in. So I think definitely people are talking about the fact that Ultimately, if it's a computer doing it, as you said, Eric, you, you have agency, but those computers and algorithms were probably written by white men. Therefore, there will be unconscious bias baked into a system. So even if you have agency, you're fighting against a stream. Mm-hmm. And then also someone said that Facebook in particular, the challenge is that you, you can grow an audience to an extent with a page, but the way Facebook has now basically shut that down and groups are the way to grow an audience, they have moderators. Most film photography groups on Facebook are moderated by white men. Um, Sam Cornwell said that he was in, a, I think, the top 135 mm film or something. Um, over the weekend, the moderators were deleting posts of Black Lives Matter protests. What? But for not being relevant, because they weren't taken on film and processed immediately, was the, oh, right. the rationale. But then scantily clad women was popping up every 20 minutes, being an out of three. Yeah. So, so if, you're a, if you're somebody... 
if you're a black film photographer trying to make a name, trying to create an audience, there are loads of people on Facebook. You'll be up against both of those things. Um, do you feel that there's somewhere where you can show your work and feel like you get a, a fair viewing, however you define that as fair? Well, for black women, there's the Authority Collective. It's really good. It's, um, it's, it's, it's an organisation. There are a few other that are, are aimed specifically at women. There's Women in Photography, which is based at um, Farnham, the, uni mm. the University of the Creative Arts. There are quite a few really good things for women. I can't talk for men, but that's that was my point. <laughs> no, it's interesting. I, I find I've, I've been thinking about this stuff a ton just because I'm trying to create my own kind of platform on YouTube and that kind of thing. Mm. And um, going back to what Rob was saying, like I, I'm actually impressed by your stats in terms of the share of, of men versus women because mine is abysmal. I think it's like 97% male. And wow. I think to myself, like, I, I, I'm actively not trying to make content that is more suited for men or women, however that plays out. But whatever is happening, that's how it's breaking out. And I, and I, I have decided that, like, no, that's not good. And I, I want to try to expand that my audience as much as I can for, for selfish, but also just for, like, good, wholesome reasons. And, you know, it, you have to, I think, especially when you're starting out and, and potentially if you're, especially if you're a POC, you got to get creative. You got to rely on these collectives like what was just mentioned specifically to women. There, there's things like that for people of color. There's things like that just for a specific type of photography. Um, and, and I think when you jump into these communities, you find very quickly that like the people that you don't think exist, they exist. Um, but perhaps yeah. they, they rely on these smaller communities because the big massive community just is, is kind of you know one, one dimensional, whether it's the audience or, or the type of stuff like work that's out there. Um, so it, I guess you have to work a little bit harder, which is, is one of those other burdens you kind of carry when you're not part of the majority. But um, but yeah, there. I think on the flip side of that, I think something that I might be going back to a broken record here, but there there when you are kind of on the other side of that, let's say you are a white male with a platform. I think at this point it's clear, or at least to me it is, that like they play just as much of a role in fixing a lot of these things as as everybody else. And yeah. you know, I, as, as someone who's not that, I can, I can, in whatever opportunity I might have, I can suggest that to someone who is a white male or, or we have a white female even who has a platform and say, hey, you know, it might, it might be well suited for you to try X, Y, and Z to, to open up and target these new communities that you don't have. Um, it, it's it's two-sided on at the end of the day, but, but there is no, I don't think there's a perfect answer. You've given me a bit of hope because um, in a strange reversal, a couple of years ago, um, I went, I took the, the Instagram account through this phase where I was allowing other people to guest curate. And uh, there was one one guy that I met locally, Yasten Yasten Gur, a young Asian kid who was uh, studying science or something. And I let him take over it. And then um, I let Freddie Payne take over his white male and then there was this guy called Peter, he was a white male. So it's like a strange, you know, overturn of what, what you're talking about. Um, and then there was Alex Valentine, she's a white female. So, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so I've, I've pretty much done, I think, what you suggested, <laughs> but in the complete reverse. Um, <laughs> other, <laughs> other people run, run my account. Um, but that said, it, it, when you're talking about the groups, uh, made me feel quite hopeful actually because um and without going back too much about the photo walks quite often we get the same faces and definitely every time i do one there's someone that i haven't met before 
and there's quite a few new new people. But also, I'm, we're starting to get these. Well, it's established. Loads of people keep coming to each walk every month for every week I do one. That's and that's great. And I think, in reference to what you were saying earlier, Eric, that would be my group. That would be that small group where I would be growing things from from that level. Is that, what you, is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, yeah. You, there, there's a, there's a, it, it's a personal thing because you know you're trying to grow your group. But then once you have that group, no matter how big it is, now you're one of those curators, even though your platform is is smaller than whatever other major platform. Um, so you have to think about the same thing. You know, how many, what, what share of people are women, or do you, are you giving enough access to to people who are shy? Are you giving, you know, it's all kinds of different elements. But keeping that in mind always, like it might seem kind of annoying or like difficult but it, it's just part of the responsibility i guess at a certain point once you have that critical mass you know i agree and tina you you said you work in uh in education quite a lot yeah do you see a diverse group of people entering that system interested in photography and then the same percentage leaving it or does something happen along the way where where people black people or people of color aren't encouraged through photography or the arts? Well, I don't, I don't actually work in that end of education. I'm in the IT, and so I don't really see that. But what I did notice from my own experience of art school in the UK, because I finally went back to art school in 2015. I went to Open School East, which is, was really amazing. And the year after, I went to the Black Portraitures Conference in New York City. And it was there that I met all of these black artists and black um, artists who all used photography. And I, I met Deb Willis, who runs the Tisch, the photography department at Tisch, and um, which was mind-blowing to, to see the work that they're doing. And I also met a group called Kamonji. And it, it was just that it was it seemed to be much more ingrained into um, the art scene in New York. Um, this was a very, 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 uh, this was not a very carefully thought out survey of these things it was just incredible the amount of people who who were involved in photography who were people of color and it was really good whereas in the UK all I'd ever really met up until that point with the exception of um, Ingrid Pollard whose work you must look at if you want to see some amazing landscape photography and just fabulous photography um, I just hadn't seen that kind of level of interest or work with photography represented in this country did that make did that answer yeah. <laughs> a bit but yeah, it was it was a totally amazing experience to see all these people. But I do recommend Ingrid Pollard. <laughs> no, this is fantastic. And one thing I must before I forget um, at the end of this, send me everything like that. We'll have and make sure in the comments that there's links and things, not only to your guys' work but also anything that you recommend. When you yeah. were going through Tina, and you were saying that that you know the the men who wanted to uh, look your lady potatoes were putting you off the dark room. Um, oh God, yes. Was was it also? <laughs> Um, so there's definitely a male-female uh, pressure for you to get out of the dark room, is what mm -hmm. I heard. Was there also a white pressure that this is a white uh, area of work or a hobby? It was a... I, w I didn't exactly feel like it was run by the National Front or anything like that, but I did feel that there was this attitude, well, it, there was a kind of strange attitude towards me as a sexual being because I had this lovely, sexy, dusky skin and obviously because I wasn't white, I definitely was going to be at it like a rabbit or something. I never really understood that. Uh, but it, it, the darkroom became, I don't know if you're familiar with Benny Hill, the Benny Hill show. <laughs> 
<laughs> there used to be this comedian called Benny Hill, and at the end of every one of his shows, he would be chased around by these mm. women, sort of speeded up. And it, that's what the dark room was like for me. It was me being chased by all these strange, pariah beardy, smelly men. And I, I, it was just absolutely horrible because there was this attitude, a particular attitude towards the non-white female body. It was hugely creepy. Still is. Anyone's doing it. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> all, the, all the bearded smelly men in this conversation stop it <laughs> you have to they, they used to smoke pipes in dark rooms what a stink it was horrible yeah. sorry yeah. <laughs> yeah. Eric, Eric you looked like you were nodding along when the attitude thing was coming out there no I I mean I, I was just thinking like how I'd never have dealt with that and I, I, I didn't realize that just now by the way like I definitely know this happens but just hearing about it, I'm like, yeah, like no matter what challenges I deal with in photography, that's not going to be one of them. And like, <laughs> holy shit, that that's a whole nother monster to deal with on top of everything else that's already happening. So kudos to you for, you know, figuring out whatever, because goddamn. It, it literally kept me out of the darkroom for nearly 30 years, though. It, it, mm. it was it was so creepy. The only time that I ever had a darkroom after that was when I built my own, when I lived in a flat in Poland, when I was teaching English, and when I worked with a, when I was in Hamburg and I used the darkroom of a lesbian printing collective. <laughs> but the rest, I wouldn't go anywhere near them because of it. It was just too horrible. <laughs> I, I will admit, though, I think part of what you said in your story that kind of resonates with me is there might be a sense of entitlement in, in film photography for for... I don't know if it's a generational thing. And again, I'm not trying to like put the young versus the old here, but there, maybe there are people who have more experience in film. And because film is this like potentially artistic and different thing, if you go in a dark room like that, you know, people might be like, well, you don't know what you're doing or you know, who are you? Like I'm the authority. And I mean, I've never had any training whatsoever. I actually went to a dark room printed in black and white. And when they asked me if I had used it before, I said, yes. And I had never done enough anything my, my darkroom experience was shoot film like a boss on YouTube. So <laughs> I, I that counts, man. I, I learned so much from that channel. But but yeah, I went in there and I and I knew that like you know the the fastest path to like getting access and just like getting to work is just do my research and and you know kind of fake it till you make it. And and and, and it worked. I mean, it was successful. It wasn't a problem. But I definitely felt this pressure to like you know show that I knew something. Whether that's because it was film photography, whether that's because I actually didn't know much, or whether it's because, you know, throw in the racial element on top of that. You know, it, it's, a, it's a beautiful sauce made of all those random ingredients. But, um, but yeah, I, I think that, that there's an interesting pressure that comes in film photography because of the fact that it's this older art. And because the majority of the well-known people in it are older white men who, you know, historically have always been the voice of, or the assigned voice, or the, you know, the commanded voice of everything. So, Yeah. But it, with, with any kind of process, there are, I won't dispute the fact that there are unequivocally the right way to do things. Sure. And then there's my dog where you do it, yeah, see what happens. But, and, and I know that, that, that it is important to have a particular kind of mindset to be able to reproduce the prints and do them beautifully, you know, like the, you, you want to do an edition of a print. You wouldn't ask someone like me to do an edition because you'd just be wasting your time and money. And so there, there, there is, but there is a kind, I don't know that it's particularly gendered or particularly um, racial, yeah. but there is, there is definitely the right way. And, uh, I, I actually I don't like the right way when it comes to <laughs> that's why you know, it, it's why I shoot film honestly because I, I don't photoshop anything maybe I'll do in Lightroom a quick heal of something and and you know bring down the exposure but 
but that to me, the beauty of film photography is that the materials, the physical materials themselves do so much. And in the process, if you do something right or wrong or different, that kind of determines at least one level of your output. So I, I love the freedom it gives me. I feel free when I'm doing film photography stuff, especially when I'm messing around because if you mess something up, like, all right, you messed it up. With digital, it's, it's almost impossible to mess something up where it completely ruins it and you can't do anything about it. With film, you can instantly completely screw something up to the point where, all right, well, it doesn't exist anymore. That photo is not a photo. It's just infinitely <laughs> exposed film, you know? Um, so yeah, it's interesting you say that because I, I love the opposite of that. That's what's one of my motivations. We do just, um, sorry, just to jump in, we've, we've lost Rob temporarily. So I will throw you guys a conversation topic and um, uh, <laughs> desperately try and pull him back in. Um, sure. We'll start with, you. is that Rob? Yeah, I can hear you, but I can't see anything. That's okay. So you you are a bl big blue S Skype. I'm, I'm here. I can hear you, but your <laughs> pictures are all frozen. Okay, perfect. Well, what we'll do then is we'll, we'll carry on as we are, and hopefully um, you, will, you will reform from that blue S uh, into the Rob we know and love. Um, so we'll start with um, maybe with uh, you, Eric, because I think having been... Uh, brought up an American coming across. Um, the recent political climate, <laughs> shall we say, the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, what are your feelings about that, seeing it, seeing it in America from there, seeing it what it, what it is in the UK? Um, how does that make you feel about uh, the current situation and any, any thoughts in the future? Yeah, there's a couple of things that stick out to me really quickly. Um, one is... Um, I love that there's a, a collective consciousness now about how that issue is not an American issue. It is a, a global societal problem. And the, all of the things that stem out of, you know, the, the, the history of racism and colonialism and all of that. Like, I, I, I heard someone put it out of protest that last week. They said, America didn't invent that. They learned it from the UK. And, and that really <laughs> stuck to me because... Um, there's this massive global history of, of oppression tied to colonialism and capitalism that has, has bred all these terrible things. So I love that, like, it actually makes me very proud to be American because I think we, we more than any place, have taken that and, like, thrown it in the face of everybody and kind of shoved it down your throat until you're like, oh, shit, this is a real thing. Um, so, so I love that. On a nicer tone, though, I, I went to two protests last week and... The amount of white people that I saw at these protests was immense. And yeah. I, I, I'm not an apologist here. I'm not trying to excuse or give anybody medals because that's not the point. But it seems like, at least right now in this last week, between social media and protests, lots of white people are either finally deciding it's worth their time or maybe they feel guilty or whatever the reason is. It doesn't matter. But a lot of people are, are trying to actively be allies in a couple different ways. And that's just a must because this problem wasn't created by black people. And given that white people are the majority in the U.S. and in the U.K., they're not going to get fixed without the direct literal impact and voting and, and collective consciousness of white people. So um, it's a good thing to see. And it's, it's reassuring. It gives me some hope. Um, we'll see where it goes from here. But the last even in the last week alone in the U.S., some really good things have been proposed coming out of local governments. And that is strictly tied to people going and hitting the pavement and protesting. If people don't do that in mass, that's black people, white people, everybody. That doesn't happen at all. So 
more power to those who are already out there and anyone who's thinking about getting involved, especially if you're a white person, like, like we want you to be part of this because we need you. So, you know, that, that's my PSA, I guess. <laughs> Tina, Rob, I'm, I'm not going to follow that. <laughs> no, um, I, I agree with you, Eric, uh, generally. Um, it's great to see people of all, all backgrounds getting involved. I think I've seen one of the latest hashtags after, uh, after the BLM, hashtag BLM and hashtag Black, Black Lives Matter, I suppose the latest uh, hashtag was keep your foot on the gas because quite often when there's um, a movement like this, they can often run out of steam and yeah. then people go back to business as usual. But I suppose a, a little bit like, um, and I know it's been conflated too many times, but a little bit like the Me Too movement where um, people are calling out really shady behavior calling it out and and identifying it as something that isn't cool isn't supposed isn't acceptable then hopefully we can make it into a real movement and keep it moving and then everything i suppose permeates throughout other levels of society mm. Mm. Yeah. I, I i mean i felt i've been really messed up by what what happened uh, just over two weeks ago it really that really 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 shocked me and and hurt it hurt and and it hurt to, to see the initial responses and I, I love Twitter and I just uh, Twitter became so unbelievably toxic after that uh, and I've yeah I've been really 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 disturbed by it but and I ummed and ahed over whether I would go on the march on Sunday and I was it made me feel so much better and it made me feel so much better to see all those white people there. I felt, oh, right. I'm, I'm, I don't have, somebody's got my back. Somebody really cares. And I've never really noticed that before. It was, it was really, really good. And I hope that this is a moment of proper change. Uh, yeah. It's still a terrible, 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 terrible thing to have happened. And uh, the worst thing, the thing I've got to get this off my chest, I guess, is that we wouldn't know about it if it wasn't for digital cameras. Mm -hmm, and, yeah. And um, and it's it's awful that we do, but it's they're good things in some respects. <laughs> I think what what um, some people have some people have um, reservations. I've spoken to some and some black people who have mm -hmm. had reservations about the whole movement because uh, they would say to me things like, uh, "I I don't go on protests, or protests don't do anything, or protests don't solve anything." I mean, look how many times. People have marched for, and the names are countless, countless names of people in America and in the States who have just not gone home alive, you know, after being in contact with the police. And so this has happened so many times. I'm sure that quite a lot of people were thinking, well, you know what, this is just, it's going to fizzle out. And for some reason, I'm, I'm not sure what it is, but for some reason, this particular moment seems to be the one that needs to be grasped and held onto with both hands. Um, but yeah, there, I know that there are people who have reservations and are, are feeling a bit negative about the whole thing. Yeah, it's tough when, you, when you're on the receiving end of the bad stuff, you know, it, it's, there's plenty of history before this moment to show that like, it's gonna happen again, it's only a matter of time and things probably won't change. And honestly, like, it's got, I think it already happened again. I'm pretty sure somebody in New Jersey I, I, and don't quote me on that, because I, I, I just a quick memory. But I think somebody, it's a black man in New Jersey, was killed by police um, this past weekend. Uh, but again, don't quote me on that. 
Um, but either way, like this is a, a, just a history, a litany of these things keep happening. So I totally get someone who's like, yeah, like I, I'm going to go about my business and try to keep my personal situation as tight as possible. And whatever happens, happens. Like, you know, when you go through the trauma that often, you, you can't, there's no blaming that, you know, it's just, it's, it's one of the ways people deal. But, but yeah, I, I agree with you, Rob. I think this feels like a moment that needs to be grabbed onto and latched onto and really pushed to whatever extent it has, because it seems to have some legs right now. Um, yeah. We'll see, we'll see what happens in a couple months. What's interesting is seeing big business getting involved, seeing Nickelodeon going off air for what, eight or nine minutes or, uh, I think it was an, another one. It wasn't just Nickelodeon. It was another uh, kids program, like one of the Disney's. And so people are, you know, big businesses are taking notice and they they're getting involved. Yes, definitely, it could be lip service. Yes, it could be, you know, it could be blackwashing it or it could be just a bit of PR. But to see some of the biggest businesses getting involved and making a statement, it's uh, it's encouraging. Uh, it's sad that it's taken as long as it has. Um, but it's definitely encouraging. I mean, we it, we had the NFL in the U.S. publicly admit that it was wrong for banning protests, and has decided to actively encourage their their black players specifically to protest about injustice. So that Will one, get his job back? I, I I don't think I personally don't think he'll want to play at this point. Um, but he he has he is not only the the champion here, but like he he's he's the hero. He literally sacrificed himself, and, and look at look at where we ended up, look at where the cause is. So, um, but yeah, you're right about the lip service. Like I've seen so many examples of just you know a quick nice little message doesn't really mean anything. We've seen it before. It's not gonna it's not gonna make us stop buying your products, and you know maybe we rely on those products anyway, so we have to keep buying them. Um, big business, you know, I'm not I'm not expecting much from there, but. Lawmakers, those are the ones I care about. And a lot of the things that have been already proposed actively in the U.S., um, they range from, you know, like this should have existed 30 years ago to, oh, wow, this is like very progressive. Even Minneapolis, the city where George Floyd was killed, um, they, the city council voted to um, completely dismantle the police force as it exists today and to rebuild it from scratch with the community. Um, that... I, I don't know enough about that concept in terms of whether it exists elsewhere and how it's worked, but that is a massive milestone in the span of one week to have that level of radical change um, at least be like on the on the on the table, like legitimately. So, again, I think people hitting the ground and protesting like that stuff makes a difference. You need scale and you need persistence, and some might even argue you need violence. But look at look at what it's delivered. I, I think the proof is so far. And again, who knows what happens next week and the week after? If it's government lip service because they've given us plenty of that too. Yeah, yeah. You know what? It's, it's interesting because you you said um, you weren't too worried about big business. You're more interested in the lawmakers. And I suppose that's you know the end result, isn't it? It, it should it should come down to the lawmakers at the end. But quite often it's the big business that are whispering in the ear of the lawmakers you know if you remember the the bus protest that that took ages that was there was a lot a long time of people walking to work and walking home before uh it started to squeeze them in the wallet and so uh well the bus the bus companies in the wallet so yeah it is the lawmakers but i think the businesses when, once businesses realize that 
people can switch off, can boycott them or can cancel them. Because cancel culture is getting quite big. Cancel yeah. culture is because <laughs> I didn't know what it was until recently, but this cancel culture where all of a sudden people just turn on you and someone who can be quite successful all of a sudden just gets becomes persona non grata. It's, uh, it's very powerful. Yeah. I've got a few friends who've cancelled Facebook and WhatsApp and stuff. They just completely refuse to use them. Yeah. Uh, I know, yeah. Yeah. I should cancel Twitter, but I can't give it up. <laughs> Twitter's great when you're watching EastEnders. <laughs> <laughs> and the um, one thing that... Uh, the, other, the other obvious uh, global thing of the pandemic at the moment... I know, Rob, you were saying on Instagram yesterday, and I don't know whether anyone else had any other good ideas, how do you protest and stay safe at the moment? Because we, I, I hear you on the, the feet, feet on the pavement, that's the way to keep pressure on. How do you do that? How do you balance that aside? Um, because also, we also know that the black and people of colour communities are being hit worse by coronavirus. So this, this, this comes, both, comes at you both ways. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts? Rob, did you get sort of uh, conclusive thoughts from your... Yeah, so I got some I got some links. Some people shared some links with me, which I can uh, send to you later on. So there were some links uh, as about what you could do, maybe some places where you can make donations, articles you can read, books you can read, even films, you know, uh, movies and some documentaries that you can, that you can watch that will help uh, educate one or educate your friends, etc. So you can educate yourself and your friends, you can make donations, or you can, um, I suppose you can live your own way. And hopefully your positive attitude, the way you change, the way you uh, address some of your previous failings. You know, you can talk to your friends about it. Have the conversation. Have those awkward, ugly conversations. Give people space to make mistakes. Give people space to, uh, to be honest and to fully describe why they feel what they feel without uh, instantly judging them. And then, you know, have that communication, have that conversation. So there, it's not just always about, like you say, Eric, it's not just going out, because not everyone can. Not everyone can make it. There, there was there was one beautiful video uh, of this old man who got two buses and he was being healthy. I think he was 97 or something like that. He came miles to go to a protest. But not, not everyone can, can get out. Some people are shielding because of their health reasons, etc. And uh, and so, yeah, so get, getting feet on the ground is great. But if there's another way, which is to communicate with others, have that chat and do that. Yeah, totally. There, there's, there's so much that has to happen after protest fizzle. Like the, these conversations and all of this, it's just ongoing. And, and I guess it'll be hopefully not forever, but it'll be for a while. Um, you're totally right. Also, boycotting certain businesses. Sorry, Paul. Some some businesses, I'm really happy to boycott them. I'm not going to name them, name them right now, but there's loads of businesses that you can uh, choose to boycott or just put the pressure on. Ask them, get in touch with them, and ask them what their view is on certain things as well. Like Vulandis has done on on Instagram. He's been yeah he's been a nightmare for Nikon. He's doing good stuff right now. He's being very vocal. I appreciate it. No, and as somebody who's who's worked in big corporation before and uh, seen how things work, I I think that getting actively choosing to say something via letters, via emails, via social media is much more powerful than boycotting because boycotting, unless it is fifty percent of a at once, 
it's very hard to get that registered. Letters, email, it, it's it's faster. And what else um, are you thinking then in terms of the momentum? Maybe Tina as well, as you look to the next weeks and months, is there anything that you're hoping or planning to do more or continuing to do or that you wish more people would do? I've been very lucky because I live on the... I live, in, I, I live in a sort of arts complex. So there's, I've got access to the dark room. I've got access to my studio. But, so I, what I would really like to see is some way of people being able to get out and enjoy those kinds of collective art experiences. So I'm, I really want to go. I want to go to a gallery. <laughs> I, I want to go. I really want to go to the cinema. Yeah. I really, really, really want to go to the cinema. I don't care what I see. I'll sit through Safe and Tango, you know, a Bella Tar film that goes on for about 15 hours. I, but I don't, I can't think of what's good. I'm just waiting for the point when I can go and do those things. But like I say, because there's a lot of us live in this area, we've all been sort of isolating with each other. But I've got other friends who've been stuck in a flat with their partner for the last. 10 weeks and that must be quite stressful and that other friend I guess some of you've got kids as well that you're stuck there with a 15 year old that doesn't want to do their GCSE homework or something that must be a complete nightmare but um so uh, yeah I've been lucky so I guess maybe yeah just, I want to get out more but safely. Mm. Eric is there anything else that you're thinking in order to keep that foot on the pedal? Um, yeah yeah um, I think that so we have elections coming up in the U.S. And um, local elections, presidential election, you know, history shows what happens in terms of like the likelihood of an incumbent being voted out, you know, that kind of thing. But there's a lot of local stuff that, that really matters that often gets swept under the rug. So I'm going to do my best to educate myself on what's up at stake and who those people are and what, what the policies are that they represent. And then I'm just going to start talking about it as much as I can um, with my with my networks, at least in the U.S., um, if I was in the U.S., and it's easy to say if I was in the U.S., but like I would hope m what I would want to do is hit the ground and actually canvas. Um, it's not something I've ever done before, but I've always thought about it. I think now is a better time than any to, to actually do something like that. So, again, I'm not in the U.S., so it's not going to happen. But um, I, I want to contribute to that kind of activity somehow. Um, I have a U.S. number, so I might even like hop on the phone and, and do some some you know phone canvassing. We'll see, but I, I'm putting this out there publicly to like kind of hold myself accountable because I really want to contribute to that. I feel that's uh, that's one thing I'm almost slightly jealous of you that you've got that coming up. I feel like because we've we've had all of the first of all the Brexit stuff and then yeah. the election and all of that that. I've kind of given up with every other form of politics in this country, <laughs> apart from the most recent things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, hope, wanna... I, hope, I hope you get the result you want. <laughs> I hope so, too. Um, <laughs> I think something more practical is um, definitely trying to do a bit more community. Like, when I say community, I mean social media here um, with the photographers that I know that are people of color and specifically black people. Um, trying to engage that somehow. And, and do something creative, something interesting. Again, just to kind of like put ourselves out there as a collective, and then you know try to link up with whatever other content creators, curators, that kind of thing. It, it's it's one of the fun ways to make a difference, you know, um, as opposed to some of the other stuff that's harder and and more emotionally like taxing. So we'll see. 
Okay. No, that's that's uh, lovely. And then, Rob, any other thoughts on you for the cross the coming weeks, aside from what you'd said there? Uh, you know, like like Tina, I'm 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 missing the cinema as well, but I'm I'm really missing my photo walks. I mean, I think for two and a half years I was doing one a month. Um, I only I only miss one or two in all that time, and uh, so I've really I miss that. I miss shooting film. I miss going out. I mean, um, I'm blessed that I can shoot film with my family. My daughter, she's developing film now, and that's great. Getting the giving her the Patterson tank. So, <laughs> um, so yeah. I mean, I'm 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 enjoying I'm enjoying that, but I I, I miss that social side of getting out and meeting people. Um, um, I suppose. I also. I didn't get to the last, uh, I couldn't make it to the last couple of protests in London. But last year, I went to so many of the Extinction Rebellion and the Brexit and, uh, you know, the 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 election. I went to so many protests. I, I, I suppose I'd like to uh, get more involved in those protests. Uh, a bit like Eric, I'm trying to get a bit more, um, a bit more vocal. I've always been so, I've been quite neutral and trying to observe everything and trying to be 100% um, impartial. But I'm a person, I've got an opinion, so I think I'm going to start sharing that a bit more and trying to get involved somehow. Uh, I'm not necessarily running for mayor just yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> but just, just, I suppose, um, just engaging with it. I mean, unfortunately, politics has got quite toxic recently uh, in the UK and whereas we could I remember it's not long ago you could talk about Lib Dems and you could talk about Conservatives you could talk about Labour without having to spit on the floor but Mm -hmm. now now you mention one and the tribalism is so intense and it's so you know oh if you think this and you must also think that and uh so yeah, it's it's quite toxic, but I think I think hopefully things are going to start calming down a little bit, and people will feel freer to have conversations and to learn and to see other people's points of view. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm going to have a bit, few more conversations about that and just uh, be a bit more vocal. I think uh, that's fantastic. Um. We've got to sort of the 20 past nine point, and I, I promise you guys I, we wouldn't take up your entire evening. So probably we'll, we'll look to wrap it up in the next 10 or 15 minutes. Is there anyone who, um, whose work you really admire, whose work you would recommend people look at? And they can be uh, black artists or they can be people who have uh, taken work that is, that is appropriate and is relevant and, and, uh, and matches the worldview. Uh, well, I'll, I, at the moment, I'm looking at a lot of Zach Webb's work, um, and he, he doesn't shoot a lot of film, but he is always out there. He's one of the most prolific film shooters. Um, he's, he's always out there. He gives his, his little quirky perspective on things. And I mean, the other day he was at one of the, uh, the protests by Downing Street. The guy got kettled and he was in the midst of it all. I think, I think that horse that riderless horse ran past him. And so, so yeah, so Zach, Zach Webb, I like his street photography mm-hmm. and his, uh, his really raw, prolific stream of amazing work. 
Um, when it comes to portraits, uh, Damon Lob Lobley, I think it is Damon Lobley or Lobble, L O B L E, and um, Ramon Jamar, J A M A R, and Dave Willis. I love their their portraits. They they've got black and white and color and underwater and all sorts of stuff. Um, and obviously uh, Hey Hussein, who is doing crazy stuff with film and uh, and t-shirts and stuff. So. <laughs> Those, those are the people that I get really inspired by at the moment. Brilliant. I, I was started to make notes and then it started auto-correcting names, which is always a disaster. So you will have to send me those, the list, and we'll put them. I will send them to you. Yeah. Eric, anyone uh, who springs to mind for you at the moment? Yeah, yeah I've got two people I can talk about. Uh, one is a photographer, like, well-known, famous. She's from New York. She, her name is Ronel Medrano. And I think we talk about representation. That's someone who I think represents me, like, almost perfectly. Um, outside of the fact that she's a woman and I'm a man, but that's basically the only meaningful or not difference. Anyways, um, she, she does a lot of portrait work and she, she's worked with all the big names and then kind of at the top level right now when it comes to like a commercial photographer. But she recently um, did an, like a one-day exhibit, or I guess two-day exhibit in London where she showcased some of her portraits that she did in the Dominican Republic where she spends a lot of time from. I don't know if she was born there or not, but that's her culture just like mine. Um, so it was it's just awesome to see somebody, you know, who fits the profile that I fit, who's heavily invested in film and is also doing it at a very successful level. Um, it's just it's very inspiring. I have no ambitions to do anything of that sort, but it's just nice to know that not only is it possible, but that it's happening. Um, and then on the on the other side, this is on YouTube. There's a guy who runs a channel called um, Film Photography Channel, I believe. It's very aptly named. But he's an American guy, and he basically, he's one of those people who, who has been around and just knows everything. And especially when it comes to gear, he talks about any any camera that you think you've heard of, you look up on his channel, and he has a 20-minute video just talking about the entire thing. Um, and I just sit there, he's got a, he's got one of those good like radio voices where it's just deep enough, just monotone enough. But I learned so much. I just love learning. So he, he gives me my learning fix. Uh, yeah, that's Film Photography Channel. I forget his actual name. Uh, it's, it's to be hard not to remember exactly what that one is, though. <laughs> yeah. Wonder what he talks about. Um, <laughs> by the way, sorry. Before we go on to Tina, I've just had a text from someone. Um, I think you have a fan, Rob. They've just said, "Can you tell Rob I love you too?" Oh, so that's nice. That I say I love you to so many people. It could be anyone. <laughs> is it, isn't your wife listening? And uh, probably, yeah. <laughs> Hi, Tina, any any um, any artists at the moment who you are particularly enjoying? Or have been inspired by in the past? One, um, I'm doing a lot of research about representation in art. And I recently, I hadn't seen this before, is a very famous African-American um, artist called Carrie Mae Weems. And she has this series where she's got photographs of herself standing in front of these big art galleries. And it's just a really, really interesting piece of work. So it's just a figure of a black woman in this very beautiful dress. She's got her back to the camera and then, then these big architectural photographs. And I, I really think they're worth seeing. They, they, they're quite amazing to see in the flesh. But the other artist that I can't, cannot recommend too highly is Ingrid Collar. Um, she's done, she's been working since I think the late 1980s. And she's done a lot of work about black people in the English countryside because she's, she's, she lives here. And so she inhabits the space. And I grew up in the countryside as well. And I get what she's doing because I love the countryside. I love the seaside. I love lots of things about this country. And I, I, I was sort of welcome and not welcome 
because I was uh, not like everybody else. And she, but the work that she produces is is really really sensitive to the land. So I can't, like I say, I can't recommend her too much. Last year, Flowers Gallery did have a big exhibition of female female artists who were doing landscape work, and they didn't include her, but it should be to their shame because it's great stuff. <laughs> Perfect. So yes, for the people um, asking the comments, um, I think lots of people are trying to furiously to make notes. I will collate everything. They will be posted under this video um, when it goes on to catch up. I think it's tomorrow or the day after. We'll make sure that that's all there. So thank you so much. And then also, where can we find your work? Um, how can people support you in the work that you're doing at the moment? Tina, let's start off. Well, my name, tinarow.co.uk. You can find me there. You can find me on Instagram at Tina Row Row Row, which is R O R O R O. It's a stupid pun, and I really regret it. <laughs> it's to be from Row Row Row, your boat. Um, nobody ever gets it. Um, um, so that's how you can get hold of me, and uh, you can always buy my stuff. There we <laughs> go. Yes, my website, Instagram. Perfect. So people can can buy your work, support you in that way through the website. <laughs> Lovely. And also now, because you said that. We will all remember your Instagram handle for the rest of our lives. Never we will be on our deathbeds being like, why am I still seeing row, row, row your boat in my head? Oh, Tina, her Instagram, I remember. Um, Eric, how can people find your work and how can people support you? Sure. Uh, most of my stuff is on uh, YouTube and Instagram. On Instagram, my handle is Ribsy and two underscores, Ribsy underscore underscore. My, my nickname since high school is Ribs. Um, we don't. We won't get into why, but um, but that's what it is. So feel free to call me Ribs. <laughs> Everyone can come up with their own story now as to why yeah. that happened. Put it. Put it in the in the chat box. Everyone can yeah. say why they think that's it. Um, and then on YouTube, I do have a channel that I've started a few months ago called Doing Film Things, and it's exactly what it sounds like. So please go ahead and subscribe, watch the videos, and and yeah, just watch me mess around. I just like messing around. So we'll see. Awesome stuff. Um, Rob, where can we find you? How can we support? Uh, well, um, I've got my Instagram, which is London Camera Project. And then there's Meetup. So if anyone wants to come to my Meetups, come to the Meetups. I'm running the London Camera Projects with a S, because it's plural. That's on Meetup. I'm also running the photo walks for Beers and Cameras UK. So I'm running that one as well. And you can find me on Twitter. Um, uh, camera London, I think, or London London Camera Project, and just type in London Camera Project, see what happens. And you can support me by sending me uh, brown envelopes full of money. I'll put the address in the uh, in details later on. No problem. I thought you were going to say brown envelopes full of APS. Uh, no, I'd rather the money actually. <laughs> yeah, because money can be turned into APS film, but nobody will ever turn APS film into money. No, no, no. many. <laughs> Um, that's wonderful thank you so much so again all of those links all of that information will go through um, any final um, thoughts reflections on anything is there anything that we that you you were hoping we'd get to or you'd hope you'd want to say and we haven't sort of had a question or a topic that, that's brought it up I know once we hang up I'll remember <laughs> <laughs> Right now, I hate that question in interviews. When you have a job interview, have you got any questions you'd like to ask us? <laughs> How much money are you going to give me? Yeah. 
When do I start? No, no, yeah, no. That's how much fine. holiday is there? That's absolutely fine. If there's nothing that comes up, then I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna hope and assume that the last hour and a half then has covered um, a lot of things that people have gone through. So. Um, well, we will, we will, in which case, um, wrap it up. Uh, Eric, there's lots of comments to go through later as, as people are guessing why your nickname is that. Um, we can have that as like an extra, as a follow-up thing. When, 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 yeah. when people remember, what, when Rod remembers what he was going to say, we'll also do like another video. Um, but seriously, guys, thank you so much for coming on. Um, at quite last, last minute as well as we pulled this together around work schedules and everything like that. Really, really appreciate it. You, you've been incredibly eloquent and um, passionate throughout. Um, I've really enjoyed it. I've learned a lot. And, and from the comments I've seen as well, people have, have really appreciated it. So thank you so much. Um, thank you, everyone who has watched, who has got involved, who sent us messages before, or who has commented and got involved in the conversation um, as it's happened. Um, this will be available, it'll go through uh, the YouTube processing where it adds captions and things like that, subtitles, and, and I'll add the links over the next couple of days. Um, please share it with anyone else that you think would find um, people talking about uh, Black Lives Matter and film photography interesting. Um, and then we will be back in a couple of days on Analog Television with Mike Gutterman, um, another American. Um, we will be hearing another perspective on life. Uh, life another fan of APS as well. Oh god, so I, I look forward to when I say what questions do people have, Rob just spamming me. <laughs> so we will be doing that, but, but honestly, thank you so much, we'll leave it there. Uh, good night and good evening. Good night.